turn with me in your copies of God's Word to uh, Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. As uh, a number of you know, I've been slowly preaching through portions of Romans 12, um, as I've had occasion to preach here. And, and so we come to one of the latter portions of this chapter. Um, we'll be reading uh, 9 through actually 21. It says 20 in the bulletin, but it'll be 9 through verse 21 through the end of the chapter. And we'll be focusing on um, verses 14 as well as uh, 17 through 20. Uh, and so... Hear now as as we hear from God's holy and inspired word, uh, his inerrant truth. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. In honor giving preference to one another. Not lagging in diligence. Fervent in spirit. Serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Amen. Let's pray as we consider God's word. Lord God, we are thankful for your holy word, and we pray that you would give our hearts understanding, give us soft hearts that will receive and apply your word. Help us to do this in a way that reflects your work in our lives, and that answers the call to holiness that you put before us. Give us your spirit now, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Love your enemies. This is a hard thing to comprehend, and it seems uh, very much counterintuitive. It's not the message of the world to love your enemies, and, and there's a reason for that. Your enemies are those who are opposed to you, those who might fight against you, those who might even hurt you. But here in, in Romans 12, Paul reiterates even what Jesus said in, in Matthew 5, that we ought to love our enemies. And he says this in a, a number of different ways, whether it be bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them, or repay no one evil for evil, live uh, peaceably with all men, 
Each of these instructions carries uh, a different emphasis and some weight to it. But hearing all of these things probably prompts two questions in your minds. First, why? Why should I love my enemies? Why should I love those who seek to hurt me, to do me harm? And second, how do I love my enemies? How do I go about trying to do good to those who want nothing to do with me except to do me harm? And so as we examine these verses here and Paul's continued instruction for the Christian life, I believe you're going to find answers to both of these questions. So I think we'll answer them first, the, the how you ought to love your enemies, as well, and then the why. But before we dig in, it's important that we remind ourselves of the context. I think the context is important in, in all of Scripture, but here it, it brings a, a particular seriousness, a particular weight to the passage. Remember that Paul is writing to the church in Rome, probably in 57 and 58 AD. This is during Nero's reign. Nero who hated Christians, Nero, who persecuted Christians, who made game and sport of feeding Christians to the lions for entertainment. Truly one of the the chief persecutors of the church during that time. So when Paul says, bless those who persecute you, there's a specific context that the people who are hearing these words, the original audience is interpreting this. And it's, it's a hard thing to hear. This isn't just a call to hold the door open for a coworker that you don't get along with. Sure, you should do that. But what's being spoken of here is much, much more than that. Given the context, what Paul is telling Christians is to love those who kill them. To love Essentially, they're murderers. That's not a light thing. And if you understand it as such, then we today, who are not being faced with death, who don't have the same degree and intensity of enemies, surely, surely this call then applies to us, dealing with lesser degrees of persecution, dealing with things that are not as hard, as stark, as being put to death for our faith. So then, if this applies all the more to us today, first you must love your enemies by blessing them. Love your enemies by blessing them. In verses 9 through 13, we considered Paul's instruction about how to love, that love ought to be genuine, that love should be with action. But as we understood that, that also was uh, particularly focused on and understood in the context of those in the church, of our brothers and our sisters in Christ. And so then, when we come to verse 14, it seems like a, a jarring shift to bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. But this is also connected there, later on in the chapter in verse 20. Verses 19 and 20. What verse 14 is, is essentially the the verbal form of the active 
form of, or the, the active verse of, of verse 20. We are to bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. And in verse 20, we're instructed to feed our hungry enemies, to give them a drink. And so this makes clear that what we're being called to is not just words, but actions too. Just as we were called to love in action our brothers and sisters in Christ. What Paul is calling you to hear is, is not simply praying for your enemies, though it is that, but it's also seeking to work out good towards your enemies with your own hands. That's not an easy thing to contemplate. It's one thing to just pray for those who are against you, to keep your distance and say, well, I'll pray for them, but I don't want to have to talk to them. I don't want to have to be in the same room as them. I don't want to spend time with them. But Paul says, but what God says through Paul is that you need to be close to your enemies to be able to love them. You need to be able to serve and minister to them in their time of need. In many ways, just as you would serve a brother or sister in Christ. And some of you may be thinking as, as we read through this, how does this mesh? How do we understand this in light of the imprecatory psalms that we often sing? Of God's word that seems to call down a curse upon our enemies. It's a fair question. We have to remember that the imprecatory psalms are calling a curse upon God's enemies, not ours. We have to understand that, that Christ is calling a curse upon his enemies, calling for judgment against those who oppose him. But it's not about us seeking vindication, seeking vengeance. No. Clearly written here, we're called to leave, it says give place to wrath. Or other translations might say give place to God's wrath. Allow God to make the judgment. Because our enemies might be enemies for good reasons, and they might be enemies for poor reasons. It might be something that we did to offend somebody, and that the sin is on our part. But God's enemies, God's enemies are always justly set apart as those who are reserved for judgment, as those who must be judged. And so when we sing those imprecatory psalms, we call for judgment upon his enemies. It's not a means towards our personal uh, vindictiveness or vengeance. And we see throughout Scripture, time and time again, where God's people do bless their enemies. Two particular illustrations that come to mind. One is Stephen. Stephen, the martyr, in, in Acts 7, verse 60, he was praying for his enemies praying that God would forgive those who were murdering him unjustly, who were persecuting Christ's church. And in that moment, how much more intense can that blessing be? The reality of Stephen's death and the sincerity with which he called God to forgive, to bless his enemies. But not just Stephen, but even our Lord Jesus Christ. In Luke 23, 34, 
where he was on the cross, again, dying for the sins that he did not commit, an unjust death. He was praying for his enemies. He was asking his father to forgive them, for they know not what they do. But this wasn't just prayer, this was action as well. Christ secured eternal life for his enemies. He secured a way for you, you who were opposed against God, to be made right with God and to enjoy this very real, very tangible blessing that we will enjoy for all of eternity, of eternal life. Now, friends, you likely aren't called to die tomorrow. It's highly unlikely that your, your life will be in question with a certain or a particular enemy where you can pray for them as you're dying. But the call still stands for all of the hurt, all the injustice that is done against you. For you to reach out, for you to pray, for you to seek to do good to those who would do you harm in word or in deed. It's a hard call How often do you pray each day for those who you struggle to get along with, who seem to be opposed to all that you do, that God would bless them, that God wouldn't just resolve the issue, but that God would do good to them? How often do you take the opportunity to show kindness in the midst of someone being unkind to you? Kids, how often are you kind to your siblings when they're taking one of your toys? Or when they hit you, what is your response? Is it kindness? That's what God is calling you to do, to be kind even when your siblings aren't being kind to you. And that's not easy. It's not easy for grown-ups to be kind when others are being unkind. But the occasional prayer, the occasional kindness, isn't all that Paul is calling us to do for our enemies. He also calls us to love our enemies. To love your enemies by seeking peace with them. Love your enemies by seeking peace with them. We see this in verse 18. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. One of the simplest ways to love your enemy is to make them not an enemy. Abraham Lincoln was quoted as saying, Do I not destroy my enemies when I make friends of them? It's a simple concept, but it's hard to do. To take an enemy and try and resolve the conflict or try and resolve the issue such that you no longer have to call them an enemy, but you might call them a friend. Oftentimes, the people that we are opposed to might have real grievances against us because we are sinners. And so it's fair to to understand, to believe that we might have sinned against somebody 
And other times, it might be unjust for them to judge us, to push us away. And so there's a qualifier here. If it is possible, as much as depends on you. And our gut reaction, your gut reaction is probably to say, well, I just need to do my part and then I can say that that's enough. I just need to to do the best that I can do and, and then I can walk away with a clear conscience. And that's true. But as we read that, realize that what what Paul is calling you to is to do as much as you can. All that depends on you. This is not a an upper or this is not the lower bound. This is the upper bound. You need to be doing everything within your power to live peaceably with all men. I think if we're honest with ourselves, if we look into our own hearts, we confess that, that we're not doing that. That we're not always seeking peace. We're content to, to stay away and to let the fight continue. To say, I did my part. I, I tried a little bit. That's as much as it depends on me. But what Paul is saying is, as much as you can, do all within your power to resolve the conflict, to make your enemy not an enemy. And again, that's, that's a hard thing to do. And when we hear hard sayings in Scripture, it's fair, once again, for us to look to our Lord Christ. Because Christ did this. Christ in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 18, reconciled us to himself. We who were far off, we who were not God's people, who were his enemies, who deserved judgment and death, Christ by his work, made us children of God. And what a switch that is for for us to be enemies of God, turned into God's children, who know the love of God the Father. This is truly uh, something that we have to look to Christ to do. We're not capable of making this peace oftentimes on our own. Either because of our own hardness of hearts. Where we want to see our enemies fail or we want to see them punished. And so we're content to let them continue being enemies. Or because we simply don't have that kind of love within our hearts. To show the grace to show the peaceableness to our enemies, to offer a truce. In verse 20, when when the, uh, the analogy of heaping coals of fire on the enemy's head is used, oftentimes we can think about this as a, a means of, of destroying our enemies. Wouldn't it be painful to have heaping coals or, or burning coals a fire heaped upon your head. But what's really going on here, I think, and, and there are several uh, commentaries to back me up on this, is it's a reference to, to metalworking. And if you want to change metal, 
change the shape of metal, you have to heat it up. You have to heap burning coals on that metal, all around that metal, until it heats up to where it is soft and can change. And so even there, we're not seeking the destruction of our enemies in the way that the world thinks of it. We're seeking to be kind, to seek peace with our enemies, such that they might change and they might no longer be enemies. Now it's fair that we need to understand the, the qualifier. Again, this is a hard thing. This is a high calling to love those, to love our enemies by seeking peace with them. And we know from elsewhere in Scripture that we're not called to make peace with men at the expense of our peace with God. What Paul is not saying is, whatever the cost, make friends. Whatever the cost, try and resolve the conflict with the world. No, Paul is very aware of the world and its opposition towards us. And Paul would surely not encourage us to skimp, to change, to skip out on God's law just so we could be better friends with our co-workers and our neighbors. But there is a way to seek peace while upholding God's word, while obeying God's law, a way where we can be gentle and winsome, even as Christ was. Christ, as he gently corrected, as he taught, as he showed practical love towards people, towards the crowds, And there were times where he rebuffed the Pharisees. But his default, his basic pattern was not one where he was going around yelling and shouting and pushing people away. But inviting people in. Showing a gentle love. Seeking to make peace with those who are far off from God. So friends, take honest stock of the reasons why your enemies, why those who are opposed to you might be your enemies. And if it is because of your love for God that they are your enemy, that's not something that you ought to change. That's not not something where you need to love God less so they will love you more. But if, as oftentimes might be the case, you have given reason for offense. You have done something that pushes them away. And this is a call for you to repent, to seek forgiveness and seek peace, that you might give no offense, that the only offense they might find is that of Christ, is that of the gospel. So then, even as you bless your enemies in word and deed, even as you seek to turn enemies into friends, there will be enemies that do not respond in kind. So for these especially, but even for all of your enemies, you need to trust God. So thirdly, you can love your enemies by trusting in God. It would be easy in some ways to do all you can do in praying for your enemies, where you pray for them daily, 
where you seek peace, where you seek to show kindness, and then to say, well, that didn't work. Guess we'll just have to fight it out. It may be that seeing someone's heart hardened against you, angers you, frustrates you, makes you want to smite them, or see them destroyed. But friends, you are not the judge of all the earth. It is not your job to make sure that you are treated justly in all circumstances. In scripture, there's not so much of a call for you to seek your own justice as to seek to do justice to others. In a sense, you are only in charge of what you can do. You can be just to others. You can be kind to others. But you can't force others to be kind or just to you. And so Paul then calls you to not avenge yourself, to not seek that justice and vengeance on your own behalf, but instead to trust God. God who says that he will avenge his people, that he will avenge all the injustice. Because God is judge over all the earth. So what you are called to do is to love your enemies and instead of seeking that vengeance, to trust God. To trust that God will do what is good and right in his good timing. Consider, friends, how Christ once again dealt with you. Christ blessed you with salvation, with the greatest gift possible, and in so doing made peace with you, washing away your sins and making you sons and daughters of the Most High God. And God has done this all while being perfectly just. And although you may not understand it, His ways and His timing are perfect. And so when we look at our enemies and when we seek judgment for them, we have to remember how God dealt with us. That God was patient. That God sought justice in a way that we wouldn't have expected. If we were looking at all of Scripture and didn't understand the gospel, we would say, well, God should surely smite Adam and Eve for sinning against him. He should just start over. That would be the just thing to do. That would be the fair thing to do. But that was not God's plan. God's plan was to be long-suffering, to be patient, and still to be just. But he waited and had Christ pay for the sins of all his people. This just God is still your God, friends. And so when you come up against enemies who do not respond to blessing, who do not respond to you seeking peace with them, then you can trust them unto God. You can trust that God will do what is right and good with them. Because God has done what is right and good and loving with you. And friends, this is why 
you are called to love your enemies because you were an enemy who was loved by God. We know this story, we know the gospel. And yet oftentimes there is that disconnect between how we treat others and how God has treated us. And what Paul is calling you to here is to apply the same love and patience that God showed to you unto your enemies, unto those who persecute you, to those who would seek to do you harm, to those who oppose you. And you can know with full confidence that all will be made right because that same God who showed you love never for a moment sacrificed his perfect righteousness or justice. And he will never do so. And so you can know that even if it doesn't happen this moment, even if it doesn't happen according to your plans, that it will still happen as God sees fit. That God will either make your enemy your friend, or that God will take care and judge your enemy at the right time, in the right way. But either way, it's not something that you need to be concerned with. Seeking their judgment, seeking their demise. Friends, these aren't easy words to hear. They can even be harder words to apply. They can only be, you can only show other people this love, this desire for peace, if you know this love. If you know Christ's love and have experienced this wonderful, glorious reality, you know how precious it is. You know how much you did not deserve this love. And so then you understand that it's not about whether or not your enemies deserve your love. But it's about modeling Christ. It's about Showing them the same love that God has shown to you. So friends, as you love your enemies, trust God. Trust Him to bless your enemies with salvation. Trust Him to turn your enemies into your brothers and sisters in Christ. Trust Him to judge justly and avenge His people in time. But in all these things, trust and look to Him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can call you our Father. That we can look to you and know with full confidence that you love us. That you so loved us that you sent Christ, your only Son, to his death on the cross to pay for the sins that he did not commit pay for our sins. Lord, we're so glad to know this love. And yet we confess that we're so quick to hoard this love. And instead of showing this same love to others, to those who might be opposed to us, we seek to just hold on to it and enjoy it ourselves. 
Lord, help us not to be selfish, but to be joyful at sharing this wondrous gift with others. And Lord, whether or not our love bears fruit in our enemies' lives, whether or not they come to know you, whether or not we're able to successfully make peace with them, we know that you are able to make peace with them. And we ask that you would do that. Lord, we ask that you would take all those who are opposed to you and that you would redeem all those who are yours. Lord, we ask that you would give us the strength and the wisdom, that you would give us the grace to do this for your namesake. We pray it in Christ. Amen.